Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Hello, everybody, and thanks for tuning to the Tonari's podcast again. Before we get going, don't, don't forget to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on Spotify. Is that where you access us? And also subscribe to the Patreon, please. We're trying to grow it and cover costs and try to put a bit of value on the work we do. So you can donate anything from one euro or whatever you have, you know, so um, it all adds up. So thanks a million and enjoy the podcast. Come back to the Tonari's podcast. This podcast is with traveler man Patrick McCann. Patrick was originally from Manchester, now um, living in Dublin. Um, we had a little bit of a technical issue, so we missed the start, the first couple of minutes. So we're just going to pick it up here with Patrick when he's talking about growing up in Manchester. So uh, it's a great podcast. Enjoy. And I liked it, you know. It was it was like a good, it was like a proper little community. I was over there, and, you know, and I got on with all the all the country, all the settler fellas from uh, Manchester. Got on with them all, went to school with them. It was like we all knew each other, like you mm. know. There was no like, I never got called a knacker over there, or anything. You know, yeah. I, I believe it or not, I never heard the word knacker until I came back to Ireland. I didn't even know what the word meant until mm. I came back. But um, in England now, Manchester, you just all I was known as is Irish, you know. Yeah. Even though I used to play the English accent when I was in, when I was in England, yeah. but I was, they still knew I was Irish, like to the man. But yeah, I liked it over there. I liked going to school and I used to go to the boxing club and I was, I was, I wasn't bad at the boxing. I, I liked going over there. I won a few titles, won the school boys in England and won a few things like that. And I used to ha- had a great relationship with my trainer. Um, fellow from, Le- the club is called Levin's Young Boxing Club. He was a great, he used to like the trainer. And, um, yeah, so everything was going well for me in Manchester. But I was only a child. Like I wasn't, I never really turned into a teenager rightly over there, you know? Yeah. So everything, for that time of my life, it was good in Manchester, you know? Mm. How'd you get on in school? Was it something that you, you liked? Do you know what? I enjoyed school. I, mm. Not that I enjoyed it, but I, I liked it, you know? And then, and I was actually all right in school. I was good when I got to second, when I got to secondary school now in Manchester. Like they put you in different class. You could be in like maths A, maths B, maths C, you know. And I was near enough in A's in every one of my classes. That means like the higher, the higher end of it. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So I was, I was actually good in school, but I think it was because I enjoyed it. You know, it, it wasn't, it was a good, it wasn't, I didn't mind going, you know. Mm-hmm. Obviously kids don't want to go to school, but when I was there, I used to, have, I used to enjoy myself, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so school was good for me in Manchester. Mm-hmm. Like the whole, that's, that's why I always have good memories about Manchester because mm-hmm. it was, because I, because I liked to go into the school, I liked to have my friends around the estate, and then, and then I liked going to the boxing club, you know, and my family was getting in all right over there, so. You know, I think as well, uh, because my experience of 
you know, life, I suppose, up until the ages of 12, 13, was good tools, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because now, yeah. when you're a child, you're innocent. Yeah. And you're not aware of most yeah. of the shitty stuff from that's in society. Yeah. So we tend to look back, like, when you're having awareness, you're innocent. You don't take on board all that negativity. But then when you come into your teenagers, you get more mature, and then you start experimenting with drugs and stuff. It, yeah. it, things can change. But you said you left school after second year. Well, well I left... I left school. Well, I was I was in second year. I think it was about thirteen, and I was I was I was in school. But the reason why we left is because we my, my mother and father decided to move back to Ireland. You know, and um, I think my mother actually said. I remember I remember saying in the house that um, that there's too much drugs in England. There's too much drugs in Manchester. Because my brother, my older brother now was he was strung out on heroin. He was on the heroin and probably the crack as well over there. And my mother said she didn't want us to. No experience that, and she wanted to get us away from him, from England as quick as possible. So, so we all came back. We came back to Ireland, like moved to Dublin. Was that the, the was that in the early noughties, like? Yeah, I said that was about ninety four, ninety five, ninety five, maybe ninety six, mm-hmm. ninety. I said about ninety five. Yeah, we came back, and um, I don't know. I see. I knew. I always knew I was a traveller, even when we were in England. But we never lived like travellers. You know what I mean? We lived in houses, even though we we're always moving around. Like you know, but we never. I never lived in a caravan or went travelling in the caravans. And I always was curious about it. Do you know what I mean? I was always curious about what was it like and that. You know, I knew I was a traveller. I had had cousins that was travellers and used to go travelling and that, but we never did. So I was excited about the fact that we were going to come back to Ireland. I thought we were going to come back and just start travelling around Ireland in caravans and. But we never did. We just came back. We came back in caravans, but we just moved into a site. Do you know? And um, where did you move to? We first when we first came back, we moved to a site in in Belcamp in Kulak. It's called Belcamp site, and that was all right. The, the site was in Belcamp was actually all right, and um, the people in it were kind of ha- were all kind of half civilized, you know. <laughs> they were all right, and then um, we were there for about uh, maybe six months or twelve months, and then um, and then I joined a boxing club over in Kulak called uh, Saint Luke's, right next to Northside Shopping Centre, and um, I was there. Loved I loved the boxing, and I got down with that trainer as well, and he liked me because he knew I was a kind of half handy, like you know, so. We got we got on like yeah we got on well in the club, but um yeah we didn't stay in that site for long though I think after about what maybe twelve months I wouldn't even say it was twelve months we moved from Kulak to Blanchestown mm-hmm. or or no to Finglas into a site called Capperfield and I didn't I didn't really like it there at all man it was it was a rough old site you know what I mean and the people in it weren't really that civilized at all <laughs> you know what I mean and I didn't really know them and I didn't know what I didn't know what to do like you know. Because the ones in the other site, I kind of half knew them. My family were kind of related to them a little bit, and we kind of got on. But then we went to this other site, man, and I just it was a it was a it was a funny environment. Like, do you know what I mean? From being brought back from England to living in a house with certain kids and going to school and the boxing club and and then getting brought into the site, man, I'm telling you, it was. It I can was, only imagine like what it's like to you know move into a, an area where you mightn't you don't know the people. You're, you're kind of half wary of them, but you've nowhere to go. That's, yeah. You just have to, you're forced to kind of get on with it, you know? Yeah, that's exactly what I was like. I was, it was very intimidating. It was, a very, it was very traumatizing, actually. Do you know what I mean? Because what was more traumatizing going to school and like, uh, back in Ireland and being called names for being a traveler or was it? 
being in the side with, with, with people like Would you believe it or not? I didn't, I know, we never went to school when mm. we came back. That was it, school over. For me anyway, school was over. Like I was 13 and, yeah. you know, whatever, like that's the way travellers think, the, yeah. the older ones, right? That's it now, get a job now, yeah. you know? But I did what I'd done when I came back. I went to, um, I started going to, I believe, believe it or not, we didn't stay in that site very long either. We just stayed there for about a year and then we moved to Dunsink, Dunsink Lane. That's only about a mile or two away from the set, that site. But um, yeah, believe in us. I don't think I I don't think it was okay, you know. Mm. But um, but yeah, like I said, we just I just we didn't didn't go to school again after that. When we came back, we didn't go to school. We just went straight. We looked. We I heard about these places called the Ancos. Did you ever heard the Ancos? Like oh. like fast courses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Ancos are for travellers. Like yeah. fosses for travellers. But we went to I went to an Anco in um. In near fingers, near Glass Nevin, it was the brothers. The brothers ran it. Another, another brothers. Like yeah. they, they ran it. So I went to um to there. I was there for about a year, maybe two year. But um, yeah. So and um, but you wouldn't learn nothing in here. Like yeah. you wouldn't. Learn, I we only went there because you get paid. You get paid like I think it was thirty five pound a week. You punt that time. You know what yeah. I mean? You get thirty five pound. That's all I was interested in. Mm. Thirty five pound a week, <laughs> but you wouldn't learn anything in it. Yeah. We didn't really care at the time because we were children. Like, do you know what I mean? But when thinking back now, you wouldn't learn a thing in it. What's it like uh, being a child and moving from uh, heart and sight, different areas, different areas? Like, uh, would you have friends? Let's say if you were in um, if you were in Coolock, would you have friends and then you'll move to another area so you lose them friends and then is it like you're trying to integrate into a whole new community every time? It's kind of like, it's very, it's very, that's what it's like. It's like that. You're moving from, it's like a settled person is living in a, just say you're living in this yeah. state now then you move to a state 10 miles away and you make, you're making all new friends or you're meeting new people and you're starting a new school. It's like that. Mm. But uh, for me, it was very intimidating, you know, like you're moving from one side to another and then you're moving to all these other, these Breeds of travellers that you don't even know, and then there's all like, there's a lot of like bullying going on and fighting, mm. and it's it's very intimidating, especially for a young kid, you know. Yeah. So I suppose I had to just like kind of grow up fast, you know. A lot of pressures on young men. Yeah. In that environment. Yeah, there is, and then I, I had a younger brother. He's a, he's about four years younger than me, and like I didn't want, especially when I moved into the, to, to the rough sites, like they'd come round and just take your bikes, like in the day, in the night time, do you know what I mean? So mm. and they try and bully you in the sites, so. I had to grow up quick, like, do you know what I mean? I had to, I didn't want me, I didn't want me to get bullied in the yeah. site and I didn't want my brother to get bullied either. So I was always fighting, do you know what I mean? I was fighting nearly every, every second day yeah. in the sites, do you know what I mean? There's a lot of pressures on young traveller men, so like to be tough. Yeah. And if it's not in your nature to be tough, do you know, you might get found out, do you know what I mean? Or you might, it might affect your mental health, and, yeah. you know, because like there's a huge amount of suicides and travellers yeah. as well, do you know what I mean? And maybe yeah. maybe this would contribute to pressures of all that. Oh, having to be tough, having to be able and maybe if it's if it's against your nature, you know? Yeah. Um it can be tough like it would be. It would be it, and it is tough. Because it to tell you the truth, I don't think that was really my nature. I was a good boxer. Yeah. Like I was good I was good at fighting in the ring. You were lucky you had the boxing and in was, Manchester then. I was thinking that it was a good job I knew how to box. I could yeah. handle myself a bit the, when I was fighting in the in the sights and that, don't you mean? But it really wasn't my nature yeah. to be like that. I think I think I think I just had to adapt to yeah. the environment I was in, do you know? Mm-hmm. And by doing that I think over a course of time I just ch- I kinda changed. 
a change into the into what I was trying to be. I was trying to put on an act. Yeah. I've been a tough man and yeah. and defend myself against bullies, mm-hmm. but I kind of I kind of turned into a bully myself. Maybe maybe not a bully like I wouldn't go around bullying people. But, but you had to keep that image up then the image. to be protected from these people. Yeah, the, and I can the, completely relate to that. You had to keep. This image that you had to build yeah. to protect yourself from people that would bully you. Yeah. And then you nearly had to become the bully to keep the same people yeah, away. Yeah, I had to, I, yeah, I had to, the, I, I took on an image. I took on an image to, um, to defend myself, you know, in mm. this environment. Mm. And the image kind of took over me. And I, I ended up becoming... This Im- the image that I was pretending to be, mm. I end up becoming that image, you know? Yeah. I know it sounds kind of weird, like, but that's what that's... Yeah. It is. It, it can happen. I think it, anyone that lived, that came from the environment I came in and was in my situation would kind of know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Man. I understand. And, like, um, <laughs> if for, in, for me, right, I, like, when, when we're teenagers, we're in a, a stage of our development, you know, where we're looking for an identity. Yeah. And I said about this theory before, it's Eric Erickson's, uh, he's got 12 stages of psychosocial development, and we go through each stage, and in the, in the, the stage you're talking about, it, we come to a crisis, it's role identity, or role confusion versus identity, something like that. But you're trying to figure out who you are, and we try new f- uh, trends, like we might become a goth, you know, yeah. you, or we get mad hairstyles, or yeah. start wearing mad clothes, listening to mad music. That's things you do in your teenage years. For me, it was taking on this identity of, I'm going to be brilliant at taking drugs, I'm going to be yeah. able to take the most drugs. <laughs> I, that was for me, I, and... Uh, I'm going to be, you know, I, I, I'll do anything, you know, for the crack. You know, I'll yeah. go over and I'll rob that or yeah. I'll break this or I'll do... You, be, you build that identity. But then when you get a little bit older, you're at, you have this identity, but you don't like it no more. But now, yeah. now it's who you are. Yeah. And it's like, no, I'm James, the, and I, I hate the word, but these are the words, the junkie, the scumbag, the, the, the drug addict, the person that goes in and out of prison. But I don't like that. I think that's not the real me. I, that's something I took on to help me in that situation. But no, I, I want to move away from it. And for you, was taking on that aggressive person that's going to be fighting and don't come near me. Yeah. But it's not the real you. No. But I, but I helped you at that time. You helped me at the time. I, ha- I had to. I had to become this person. But I went too far with it. I went it, like it, it took over me. Do you know what I mean? And, and I had to live in it because I was. I was. I was always in this environment. <laughs> I was always in this environment. I was always. We grew up in Finglas, and I was always when, from that side I was in. Then we moved to Dunsink, and I was always I was always around people. It, don't get me wrong, I got on with a lot of people. Like we got on with most of them, but there was always someone there that always trying to test you. You know, mm. they'd always try and test you. You know, and to see how far they could get with you, or they'd always try and be smart with you. So you always had to be on guard for them. You know what I mean? You always had to keep this image going with them. Would it be? I mean? Would it be other travellers? Or would it be settled people too? Believe it or not. It was mostly travellers because the reason why it was mostly travellers is because I was mostly around travellers. I wasn't really around set people that mm. much. You know, you'd see them, you'd have a chat with them, you might have do dealings with them or whatever, yeah. but, but that'd be about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was just mostly travellers. And um, when did you get, I, I can imagine like in a situation like that where you're on edge and um, if you start drinking and taking drugs, all of a sudden it makes life a little bit easier, you know? Yeah. Did you start drinking at a teen, in the teenage years or how did that? Well, um, Believe it or not, I never drank till I was about nearly, nearly 18 years of age. I was, I was uh, like I said, I was into the boxing and I was devoted to the boxing. Mm. And I, 
I had big dreams of the boxing. No, I was I was I won the best in Ireland at my weight. Do you know what I mean? And I like, but um, it kept me going. The boxing kept me going. That's all I used to plan to do. So I'd go to um the brother's ankle, and then I'd come home, and then I just I'd either go jogging or I'd go to the gym in the in the in the club, and that that was my dream. Like, do you know what I mean? But um, but I remember I remember I got to the All Ireland finals. And I was about 17. I got to the All-Ireland Finals, the Junior All-Irelands. And um, I boxed a fellow from Belfast. Can you remember his name? Thomas Hamill. Yeah, Thomas Hamill. Good boxer. He's from Ballymena. Because he might watch us. He might be mm. watching it if you're watching it, Thomas. Yeah. Good man. Ballymena. Yeah. Who won? Oh, he bet me. He bet me in the All-Ireland Finals. It was a close oh, fight, yeah. but he bit, I think the last round, he, he I was just tired and he just he just kept coming forward. He was, yeah. he was a good little fighter. Fine. He went in and he boxed, he boxed in the Commonwealth Games. I think I've seen him on the, in the television box in the Commonwealth Games a few years later. He was a good little fighter, mm-hmm. like, to the man. Fair player. I think he's a traveller as well, you know. Was he? I think he's a traveller. I didn't know he was a traveller at the time, but mm-hmm. I think he's a breed of a traveller. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he, I think they own a scrapyard in, in Ballymena or something like that. Yeah. And someone was telling me, I think it was my trainer, Another trainer was telling me that he's a, that he's a traveller or he's a father of a traveller or something like that. Do you know what? Travellers become some of the best boxers in, yeah. Ir- in Ireland, England, wherever they are because I think it has something to do with just growing up in a tough environment. Yeah. It makes them really that extra yeah. bit tough. And I remember Mike Tyson said it there on a podcast there. His son, remember we spoke about it before, yeah. his son wanted to go on and be a boxer. Um, Mike Tyson's son. And oh, yeah. And he turned around and he says, you will never make it in boxing. Because if you ever come across a fella like me inside in a boxing ring, yeah. a fella that grew up yeah. in a rough, rough environment, yeah. selling drugs at the age of 11, 12, robbing people and all this shit, fighting on the streets for money, he said he'll fucking, he'll just destroy it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You have a, you have a, I think travellers... Not just travellers, but like fellas from even the from, from let's just say the inner cities and the rough yeah. areas, they have this natural aggression. Yeah. They have this aggression in them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you're born like like Mike Tyson's son now, he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Like he yeah. never went through any struggle in his life. Do you know what I mean? So he's not gonna. He's yeah, a, and he, people say that about Chris Eubank Junior as well. Yeah, they say like he might be a talented box, like but no when it comes down to it. Yeah, when the when the going gets tough, yeah. that's where the fella does have to having to fight his way into this ring. Yeah, it wasn't handed to him. He has more know. heart. He's like, got more passion for it. Yeah, but then again, saying that Chris Eubank Junior is is tough. He's he a tough fella. He is good. He's a like, tough old fella. Yeah, but he got paid by Billy Joe. He got paid by Billy Joe. Yeah, but that's not that's not that's, that's Billy Joe is at least I suppose Billy Joe yeah. is good. He got bet by Canelo, but that doesn't mean yeah. he's not good. There's he's nobody beating Canelo. No, not at the moment. <laughs> I can't no. see anyone beating him at the moment. No. But go on. We go back to the the fight with the fella from Balamina. Yeah, what happened after that? Yeah, Balamina, and I got bet. And I got bet by he bet me anyway on points. And my trainer actually took a heart attack. I was in the ring as well. No way. He took a, he took a, <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's not funny. Like, but it was. It was. It's kind of funny now, but because he was all right afterwards. Mm. But he, he took a heart attack outside the ring. He did. But um, yeah, I remember after the fight, I came back to the corner. I said, "Where's Sean?" He said, "Um, the trainer said to me he's in the restroom. He's not feeling well." So I said, "It's all right." So then I went out to the last round and I got and I lost anyway. I came back to I came back to the dressing room and Sean was on the ground. <laughs> he was on the ground and they were on top of him like that, pumping oh, the heart. Jesus Christ! But no, he, no, he took a massive heart attack, but he, he survived. Oh, he, he's dead now anyway but that was like that was like that was, geez, that's 20 years ago mm. but um, yeah Sean Moan he was, a, he, was a, he was a really nice trainer he was a really nice man he was what was it like losing the All-Ireland final I was it was it was you it put was, so much into it like it was it was hard but it was I was just glad I got to the final 
But then I said to myself, you know, I said, I'm going to, because you get to juniors, the juniors are for two years from 17 and 18, you know. So I said, I'm going to win them next year now. I thought, I'm going to train hard this time and I'm going to win them next year. Next year I came and I got to the, got to the finals again. I had about four fights to get to the final. I won every fight to get there. Four fights to get there. And then um, fought a fella again in the final and he bet me. Different, no, it wasn't Thomas Hamill. It was a different fella. But, um, I don't know, I just, I was just, I took it really bad at it. I, I got know. devastated and I was just like, I remember I was crying in the dressing room and everything, trying to, Sean was saying to me, Patrick, he said, back to the drawing board. Drop back to the drawing board, Patty. We'll get, we'll get back, we'll, get, we'll do different next time. Mm. And, um, I don't know, I just got disgusted. I saw, I got, I think it was that age in my life as well, you know, I just, I just took a break. I said, I'm taking a break. I took a break for about six months or for a few months, I thought, at the time, but, but in that that few months that I took a break, that was such a. I just started drinking, you know, going to parties, and I wanted I wanted to do different things. So I was boxing for so long. Do you know what I mean? I said, I'm gonna start enjoying myself now. I'm 18 now. I want to start enjoying myself and drinking and mm-hmm. having a good time. But that's when I started drinking, mm-hmm. and that's when I started, started taking drugs. And th- at that time, now it was um, I don't there wasn't much coke around. It was all XE tablets. Yeah, but I was taking. I started taking XE tablets and. Yeah, I started being up for two or three days at the weekends, drinking and coming home, dying sick. And mm. but I started, I started, I started, I, I got in with the wrong kind of the wrong people as well. They, they were all my own people. They're all related to me, but they were the wrong people for me to be around. You know. Mm. But I started being around them, and I started. I said, they, they, they all, just, they all used to take drugs in the site and at ease, and that we used to go down to the site. That's where we'd have a good time, like you know. You would have great times and ease, yeah, like, you know. Yeah, but you would be sick after the whole three dying. days. You'd be dying. You'd be dying on a come down for the three days. Even the thought of it, no, like we give empty reaches, like wouldn't it? Oh, it's hard as a tablet, no. Like, you know what? Oh. Back in them nineties as well, they were probably a great time to take ecstasy because they were, mm. they were fantastic. Yeah, and they were like. Great buzz, you'd be in a great buzz in them. You'd be on a, I love buzz, like, you yeah, know, man, you'd, be, yeah. you'd love everyone. I love you, I love you, yeah, you know. God, peace you'll be and fucking love. threatening, yeah. you'll be threatening to kill him today. <laughs> yeah. That night you're hugging him, you're kissing him, and you're telling him how much you love him. And, mm. and then when the, then when, before you go to bed, and when the come downs coming on, coming on you, you don't even look at them. Oh, you just want, you want them to get away from you, like, you know. And then yeah. you're thinking about what you said to him one hour before, like, how much you love him, and that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it, it, it's it's a serious. Do you know what? Do you, you know? You brought back memories there. Do you know if you were ever going out with a woman back in the day, when you were taking ecstasy and she was ever taking ecstasy with you, led you wouldn't be long. You promised you wouldn't be long running the other way after the state of the jaw, like after being out for two nights. Or if you met if you met a man right and she was beautiful and next she went back to a party and you see her on old earth running and you're like fuck that I'm not gonna. <laughs> Because <laughs> it changed your whole face. Oh, like. your, your face goes. We like, all become. No, that works. Vice versa. Of course. It works yeah. for us too. Like, yeah. You, know? yeah. you don't it's look so just... good with your job or your father's. No. Are <laughs> no. trying to pick things out of thin air and they're not in there. Ah, stop. Not, that, you would have good times, but at yeah. the same time, comes with a lot of sickness, depression, and all that. Yeah. I destroyed myself. Yeah. I destroyed myself. <laughs> and then. I was, I did a lot of carrying on, I was with these people and I was doing this message, doing a lot of carrying on and fighting and you know, I was kind of, I was kind of showing off in front of them, I wanted mm. like, to, I wanted to belong with these people because like, I thought they were related to me, they are related to me, but I thought they were family like, you know, so I was doing a lot of showing off and I wanted to impress them all the time and I started carrying on and fighting and you know. But to finish up anyway, my mother put me out with the site, she put me out with the yard and she put me out and she actually put me out to that side. 
And that was the worst place I ever could have went to. To Dunsink Lane, is it? No, I was in Dunsink Lane, oh, and yeah. my mother put me out with a bit. Okay. And uh, she put me out to that site, because my, bro- my brother lived out there. And she she put me out to him, and um, it was just the worst thing that could have happened to me. Mm. Because I was out, then I went out to that site then, and um, that's how we were doing out there. We were just drinking. There were some fellas out there selling drugs. They were making loads of money. But, um, sorry. But um, I wasn't. I was doing nothing. Only taking drugs. You know what I mean? Mm. At the weekend. And then, then I'd, all, I'd be on out my doll mm. at the end of the week. And I'd all maybe a hundred pound or maybe whatever every week out my doll for, for the ease that I was getting. And um, yeah, you, you have nothing like. And and you, you weren't doing nothing because you'd be, you might be drinking for like two or three days in the site, taking drugs. And and then you'd be on a come down for like two or three days after it, always in, in bed. And then... And then you just start coming back to yourself and it'd be like Friday again. And mm-hmm. then you'd, you'd be going into the trailers again and you'd look at them and it looked good, like, and you'd go in again. Mm-hmm. And this, I'm telling you, this went on for about 12 months solid, 12 months of this, maybe more of just doing this, wasting completely my life, wasting maybe 18 months of my life just doing this, you know? And then I was, then I had, I wasn't, I couldn't go home. So I was stuck in the site and yeah, it was just, a, it was just, it was just like um, I don't know. Just it was it was a time in my life when I felt like oh, there was I, no hope. I was in the same situation, you know, before there was any heroin or anything in my life, you know. But the the, the cycle of alcohol ecstasy, and then after two or three days of ecstasy, it's like I never again doing that. Maybe Monday morning, Tuesday morning, when yeah. Thursday comes in, you're thinking Friday night I'm getting a lorry hawk, you know? Yeah. And then then you're doing it, and then before you know it, you're like, what the fuck? You're buzzing yeah. over you every yeah. week. And then Monday, like, never again. Yeah. Thursday come around, it's like the call and comes at yeah. you again. Yeah. And before you know it, you're doing it again. And it's very hard. Then when I was taping like that, I was skinny. I, I was be eating it all, just drinking yeah, alcohol. Yeah, I was the same. Teeth rotting in the head. It's just, it's just a horror. Mm-hmm. Like, Ecstasy can be fun, but most of the time you're fucking sick from it, or your your head is wrecked from it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mad old days too, aren't they? Yeah. They but you know, when I look back at them times when we were taking these, they were probably the best time of my life because I was after finding something that was able to give me some form of connection and love, experience, love and euphoric. You know all these different things, but. We also didn't understand the consequences of drugs back then. We didn't understand the overdoses from ecstasy. They were frequenting yeah, back yeah. in the, the 90s and the early noughties, mm-hmm. overdosing from every, people dying from heart failure. and Like, these are the, the consequences. But when you're young and you don't have very much awareness and something is giving you, like, the ecstasy is giving you a great feeling, it's giving you self-esteem and confidence and all these different things... You know, and love, yeah. you're not going to turn your back in it. No. You know, because I remember we'd go out after work on a Friday, we get a bag of ease, we go buzzing for the weekend, we come home Sunday night and go into work. And I could not take my mind away from the next weekend. Like, mm. I thought about that next weekend for the whole week. Yeah. You know, and it's when you're young. It's the only relief from yeah. whatever is going on for you. But, but, but that's, it, when I often mention this, you know, when I talk about drinking drugs and how the drinking drugs saved my life in one respect in terms of it completely overtook my thinking. Like, when I say it overtook my thinking, this is exactly what it means is 
for the whole week when I wasn't on drugs, I was thinking about drugs. I couldn't think or feel anything else. So when the Friday came, I was taking drugs and I was stoned for the weekend. But come Monday, Tuesday, whenever I stopped, I was thinking about the next session. Yeah. You know, it's not till you actually stop using drugs and alcohol is that, hold up a sec, where's all this shit coming from? Mm. All the trauma and whatever else goes on in your life and you you have to deal with it because you can't go back using drugs because they just nearly killed you. You're after being to prison. You're after being inside mental health, mental institutions for your mental health, hospitals for overdosing. Mm. And now all of a sudden you're left with dilemmas from your family. You're homeless, all these different things. And now you you haven't got that crutch to help you through all anymore. And you have to go into treatment and deal with all these issues. That's when they're real, real hard working. And and that's where we have to, Mm. and you, have to start developing ourselves and start looking at all these issues to be able to grow you know, and become what we are. You know, when we used to be taking these now, like that, be gangs of people, you know, fires, bonfires, yeah. and drinking and cans and bottles of vodka. There used to be a lot of antisocial behaviour. There used to yeah. be a lot of joyriding, a lot of criminal damage, public order. We start picking up charges and stuff like that. Was it similar for you? Yeah. You well, um, there's antisocial behaviour. We were always fighting, like, you know, when we, we, we'd be fighting and we, we'd be fighting yeah we get in trouble with the law for it like or was um, it just was it just between yourselves um yeah well that came afterwards like but mm. I, I'm, I'm thinking about this time this time on the site this, yeah this this time i was in this site yeah then um, mostly i was fighting like what like, like what they would say maybe like in, in a kind of a feud type mm, of an environment kind of, yeah but sometimes it wasn't even a feud you were just blackguard you know mm. just um just we were just gone wrong yeah. I was just gone wrong, don't I man? Mm. Do you know? Do you, do you know? For example, do you know what, exactly what James is saying. Do you know these travel feuds that do go on within the traveller community? Like they do get pretty, pretty violent. Yeah. Like, and, and and there are a lot of people, like in the background of of the violence. Say, for example, the young children, mm. the wives. You know, and the males. Then some of the males are dragged into shit because they're a family member. Yeah. somebody that's involved in a, fam- a feud yeah. you know and it's like if you don't get involved in the feud and help the other family yeah. you're kind of fucking you're blacklisted mm. you know and that must be an awful lot of pressure for any traveller man like they get involved in something and he uh, he doesn't want to get involved yeah. in it and he's pressured no, into it you be pressured into it do you know what I mean yeah. that must be an awful feeling like. yeah mm. oh, I, no, I did you know? I, I, I was in a few feuds myself now I was in a couple of feuds yeah. but um that was later on. That was later on. But, um... How did you want to finish up so with the ecstasy part and that, Leah? Yeah, yeah that just, um, and... I was doing that for a couple of years. For maybe a year, two years, I was on that site. And uh, just that two year, like you were saying that you were working and that while you were, then you come back for the week, at the weekend, you'd be looking forward to the weekend. I wasn't even working. Mm. I was just like, like, I left school at 13, went to the Anko, didn't get nothing from them. Got no qualification, nothing from me. You wouldn't even learn how to read, write your name, only for I knew already, you know what I mean? Mm. But um, when the ANCO was over, there was just nothing like. So I had no qualifications. I I had no leaving, sir, or junior, sir. I had nothing like that. I didn't really know, know how to do anything, you know? So so when I was in the site, there was nothing to do mm. apart from crime, you know? Crime. Mm. But um, yeah, 
And when did you first start to get in trouble with the law? I first started getting in trouble with the law when I was about when I was about twenty, I'd say, maybe twenty one. I started um I started robbing. I started robbing my cousins used to go robbing and they used to come back with a few pounds, you know, you see them with decks of money and that so it looked it looked good like to the men because I wasn't making money any doing anything else. So um yeah, so I started going off with them. I used to go off robbing robbing shops, robbing pubs, hotels, whatever you robbed, you know what I mean? Mm. Sometimes you get money, sometimes you wouldn't. But um yeah, I think I got my first charge when I was about twenty, twenty one for, for robbing. And um yeah, so I think I got, what did I get for the first I think I I got a suspended sentence because mm. it was my first ever conviction. Mm. But um I broke that suspended sentence after about six months, like I got caught again for robbing and yeah, I, got, I went to jail. The first time I went to jail was about 22. I got um, 18 months. Mount Jai? I was, I was 12 months. I'd done tw- 14 months in Mount Jai. I don't know. I did 12 months in Mount Jai and then got, they sent me to Shatton Abbey for two months for finishing off a sentence. Mm. What was it like going into Mount Jai for the first time? Um, yeah, it was, it was intimidating. Like, you know, when you're young for like going into Mount Jai. No, I won't lie. I was in Cloverhill before that. I was yeah. in Roman in Cloverhill. Yeah. But when I went to uh, Mount Jai, yeah, it was, it was intimidating. But I knew one or two fellas in there, you know. Mm. I knew a couple of fellas in there, so it wasn't it wasn't too bad, you know. That was the same, like um, when I went into Cork first, like it's intimidating because you're going into a prison for the first time, you know. But just so many people from our area inside there that it's like yeah. a home from home then as well, you know. And you just get into it very quickly. Yeah, I think any every it's all the same when you go to prison. If I went to prison now. You're always going to be intimidated, especially the first couple of days, because you don't know what's going on there. You don't know yeah. if you have no, if if you have an enemy in the prison, or you know what I mean. So mm. you're you're a bit like you're a bit nervous when you first go in, mm. but um, after a few days, when you get to know a few fellas on the landing, it's not too bad, you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. So the first time I was in Mount Joy, um, I knew a couple of fellas in there, and I went to I believe not I went to school. I went to I started doing my junior sir in Mount Joy. I was doing my junior sir, and. Um, but I got out, I got out, I got moved to Shatton Abbey about, I about, about a month before I got to do my test, I got, I got moved to Shatton Abbey. Did, they asked me, do you want to go to Shatton Abbey? And I was thinking about the junior, sir, but the one time I said, no, yeah, yeah, go to Shatton Abbey, like, to the man, just get out of, the, get out of Mount Jai, you know? But, um... What way did you find it? Because, you know, when in Cork Prison, it's like, like Mount Jai, right? You're out in the morning, you know, 8 to 10 go to the, the school or go to the gym or whatever then you're back in for your grub 12 to 2 then out you know to the school yeah. 2 to 4 you're back in then 4 to half 5 then you're out your day goes so quickly because you're taught where to go you know where but then when I went to Shelton Abbey I didn't know who the officers were the door was never closed yeah. and I just felt the days were very long no I found that as well for the first week I was deadly you know what I mean I was it's like a holiday camp, but then after about a week, it did get a bit boring. You know, yeah. it got very boring. Like it's just it's because in Mount Joy and little jails, it's all routine. Yeah, in out, in out, in out, and then the gym in the evening time. Today goes by quick enough, but I found that not be very boring. There's no structure to no your day. No structure, nothing. You know what I But but Timmy loved it. Yeah, I did because um, I don't know. I was in a different, completely different place going up there in my life as well, you know. I think if your head is right, you'd make it work. Yeah, I yeah. Was two and a half years clean and sober by the time I went in there and I was after doing a lot of work with a psychi- psychologist in the prison and the drug counsellor and all these different things. And when I went up there, it was just like, whoa, there was no more rattling the keys at doors, you know, yeah. with the officers and stuff like that. You know, I, I, I kind of went then as well from being uh, in fight or flight consistently to 
really mellowing out because you know how it is in the main yeah. prisons you're constantly yeah. on your toes because yeah. you don't know what anything could happen it's always anytime, kind of like. paranoia feeling yeah. in jail always yeah. you know it's like it's, there's constantly adrenaline pumping yeah. through your body it's yeah. when your cell is locked in at the end of the night yeah. you can say right there's a steel door there now I'm actually safe I never felt safe for my life inside the prison I'm telling you and that's and the truth as well. when that door's locked yeah. and, you're in the, and you're lying in bed you're t- I do often thought of it like mm. I'm safe. Yeah. You know, you know, you feel very safe in the cell Wouldn't at night when it's locked. You see, no one can get in mm. to me now, like, yeah. do you know what I mean? That's the truth, God. And there was times, like, yeah. when I came out of prison, Pat, that I actually felt like, you know, I know it wouldn't be a bad thing to be back in there for a few months. Yeah, yeah. locked in that cell. Do you know what I mean? Because you'd have, there was great peace, there was no responsibilities, you had mm. no bills to pay. But you know what? No one telling you, pick your clothes up off the floor of the bathroom or anything. <laughs> I'm ball happened. No, my wife will probably clap her head off me after that one. But um, do you know? No, listen. It it being on a serious note. Um, I really kind of balanced myself in Shelton Abbey. I, I, I a little bit of space. I was able to go for walks, and the gardens up there are absolutely beautiful. Mm. You know, it's a beautiful prison. The yeah, building it's is nice, absolutely it's a nice place. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, it was it was just something that I I, I enjoyed and. Um, but I was happy to leave leave yeah. that place too, yeah. you know. You know, it's a, it, it was a, it was it was an experience, mm. you know. But um, but like when you know, for example, when you went there then from the main prison, you couldn't continue the the leaving sort the junior sort, could you? No, I think they were saying to me, "There's a place you can go to on the outside, mm. and you can finish off your." But I never did. You know what I mean? I just mm. when I got out, when I got out of jail, it was just back to the madness. Yeah, it was just back to the site. Back to the madness, and I think we were involved in in a feud. We were in. I was involved in the feud before I went to jail, and then when I got out of jail, so the feud was still there. So I wasn't. I could. I wasn't thinking about going back to education. You know. Do you know being involved in a, f- a feud for a traveller and going into prison, like that must make it a lot worse. But I suppose being in prison then and knowing that you have the door to be locked, did you feel safe for be- being locked up in, in, instead of being inside in the hall? The site now, for example, and fucking having the, the fear that some cunt might come in with a fucking petrol bomb or throw a few shots at a trailer or yeah, something like that. Yeah, you, 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 do, you do have that in your mind, like that yeah. could happen to you. Like, do you know what I mean? Because a trailer is not really no. that like secure. Do you know what I no. mean? A petrol bomb and a trailer goes up like that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But um, no, I don't know. I don't know. When I, I think over being in the cell at night time when I was locked, it was just over. I think it was, that was over being in the, out in the prison all day, and you're just you're always on edge around the prison. And then when you get locked up, you feel nice and cozy, yeah. like you know, and yeah. no one can get me now. Like yeah, yeah. they can't get me. But it's me now. true, though. Yeah, no. All we are at the end of the day yeah. is boy, young boys, young yeah. men that yeah. fucking didn't really yeah. grow too much. Like yeah, like the, the growth has stemmed. Like for me, my growth was stemmed at a really 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 young age you know yeah and i remember walking around the prison not even being able to have conversations i've mm. said this many times i couldn't talk when i stopped drinking and drugging i had no vocabulary and i had stutters and i felt like i was a six-year-old child in conversations with yeah. people you know that's how i felt yeah. you know and, and then as i said earlier going through all the stuff then that you have to go through. and these identities that we formed you know this like the aggression you know when the door closes at night, you can just let it... You can just let it, yeah. Be yourself. The image is you know gone. I mean? You just it be is. yourself. And, and what are we uh, uh, underneath it all? Mm-hmm. Just 
afraid men hurt yeah. afraid men that don't really know yeah, how to manage yeah. You know? yeah do you know what we're talking about here now like this will sit still with a lot of men in, in sitting inside in prisons that are listening to this yeah because like and, and any fella that it doesn't sit still with like probably hasn't found that spot still. a bit of maturity to you come know? down the, la- the line yeah like you know but can I ask you about the feuding and you can be as, as open yeah, as honest yeah. as you want what's it like being involved in something like that, like where there's a threat to your life and you're always looking over your shoulder, are you, you're, is, is it a constant feeling of not feeling safe or feeling that you have to be attacked before you're attacked? Or I don't know. When I, when I was involved in, in the feuds, uh, I don't think my life was ever... I never really felt like my life was like I was going to get whacked or anything. It wasn't that kind of feud, but you would get you would get cut up like if you were got in the right place by a few fellas, do you know what I mean? Mm. So you had to watch where you were going, you know? Mm. And but the same way, a lot of fellas would have avoided me, you know, mm. as well. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because maybe I might have done the same thing back. But um, yeah, it was, it was a paranoid. It was a paranoid time because the feuding that that was going on, we all we didn't live far from each other. We mm. all lived in Finglas or Finglas, Blanchardstown, all around there, you know. So we all kind of lived next to each other. So you could bump into each other at the shop, at the post office, in the in the shopping centre. You know, mm. you wouldn't. So you always have to be on guard all the time. I always used to go around with a knife in my pocket, or maybe a machete in the boot, of my car. You know, just in case. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was a kind of paranoia time. Yeah. Not that you, well, maybe you would be afraid, but not really fear. Just that you'd be kind of paranoid. You always be watching like where mm. you're going, and you be thinking about maybe your family or something like that, you know? So, yeah. uh, and it's like, your, your, your mind's so always preoccupied. Mm-hmm. I was, my, I'm telling you, I yeah. was full of hate. I was my, I was full of hatred for a long time. I full of hatred I was, and I was full of, um, so my, and so my mind was always preoccupied with, I could never, I could never, I could never grow in life. I could never move on to the next stage. Because I was always involved in something, do you know what I mean? So we had to get this sorted. We have to do this, get this sorted. Do you know what I mean? You couldn't just move on like 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 that thing we talked about before with the education. Yeah, and I could never do that, especially when I was in the middle of a feud or an argument. Because yeah, because you're just too preoccupied. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And you know, in a situation yeah. like that, then um, let's say if you're with your family and friends, and somebody gets involved in a fight, in a fight. I you're all then by default you have to get involved or is it is it something that you get sucked into even if it's not your fight? Yo, do you know what? I never had a I I I don't come from a big family like so yeah. I never had that. I, I I would have loved to have a big family that I could have relied on. So what there wasn't that many of us, but we had. Yeah, so we we always kind of did like um. What's the question again? Like the stand, like let's say if you if you were hanging on with a group of boys, right? And let's say if I was hanging on with a group of boys here and one of the boys ended up fighting a fella from over here, it's not just going to be left with the two of them having a straightener. Are you dragged into a feud? Is that how it starts and then it escalates from there? Oh, you would. You get dragged into it. More more than likely you get dragged into it, you know? Mm. Yeah. That's tough, especially if you don't want to be dragged into it. Yeah. If you're someone that really is not able for that kind of pressure and, and, and not able to... They carry out violent acts, yeah, with knives or baseball bats or whatever. You know that can be really intense for any human being. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know? It's, it's and all... when we first went into when we first got into this feud, the the first kind of feud we were in, we were only kids, mm. and like the fellas that we were fighting against were all like big hairy ass men, like the men fellas in their 
early late twenties, early thirties, you know. We were only like nineteen, twenty, you know. So um yeah, we were only kids like and we had to straight away we had to turn into we had to do things that we, we never thought we were we, that maybe we probably wouldn't have wanted to do, you know, mm. violence and feuding, mm. bare knuckle fighting. Mm. I don't think bare knuckle fighting's too bad if it's done right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If it could, if that would start an argument, that's okay because like the sports now, the UFC, that's like bare knuckles, and it's mm. actually bare knuckles fighting, and boxing is like a sport now. They're making it into that's a right. proper licensed sport. Like bare, I don't think bare knuckle fighting. Only thing about bare knuckle fighting, it doesn't solve nothing anymore. They just travelers just do it just because it's just about besting each other, you know. Mm. And then they train for like twelve weeks for a fight to take steroids and they're to go out and so like I think no maybe before there was social media yeah maybe it would have been helpful to have go out the lane have a straightener. There's no boasting about it afterwards. No, there's no, no going up. There's no call out videos nothing like that. Because I think it's important for people to understand that sometimes we see call-out videos on YouTube, Facebook and all these things and sometimes they look funny and yeah. the madness. But the reality of that really is you have a heart and soul full of people that are fucking waiting for the next bad thing. Yeah. You have children growing up in an environment where the father is being attacked or the, the might, attack might happen any time. Then the anxiety then that that child grows up with a sense of fear, anxiety... You know, it's not just about the men involved in the fighting. It affects the whole family, no. doesn't it? Yeah. And to tell you the truth, them, um, them videos, I don't know. I, I won't lie, I met a few, I was in a few videos, I met a few videos, like, but I just, I don't, I don't agree with them now. I just, just I just, I don't know, I did, I, the, um, they just keep things going, you know? Mm. Uh, fair enough, if two fellas are going to have a fight, as a, uh, Two good fighting men are going to fight. Okay, fair enough. Make a video. Just arrange the fight and, yeah. you know. But the videos that they're making where they're calling each other names and I'm going to kill you, you this, you that. You know what I mean? All these bad yeah. things. Get, I'm going to kill you when it gets you. I'm going to cut you up. I, I don't know. I don't agree with them at all. Yeah. I don't agree with them. I think they're just... Um, and you don't see no one else. You don't see any other communities making these videos. It's just a travelling community. And I think other communities are looking. They're looking at down at us and making these mm. videos. I look at them. Look at look at the rat. Look at the rat making these videos again. Mm. You know. And it's important to say as well that it's a very small fraction of travellers that make these videos. But people can look at all travellers as if, yeah. if all traveller families are out making videos. Yeah, they're not. I know. It's just that it's on you. They're on the YouTube videos. There's, there's loads of them, and mm. certain people are or ever look at them and saying, "Oh, look at this." No man, they're all mm. mad. Other men. But um, yeah, I just I just don't want to agree with them. I met two or three of them, and I wish I never I wish I never met any of them. Do you know what I mean? I, I really regret making them. But um, how did you get out of that lifestyle? The the drugs, the violence, the crime. Um, what what happened? Did, did something happen that you said fuck this? I've enough, or did it come by accident? Or well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what my my big turning point was about about five years ago. My sister, my sister died. She took an overdose. And um, at the same, around about the same time, my ex, she left, she left and she took my children to England. And it really affected me. The two of them things happened at one time. It was like a loss. I lost my children and then I lost my sister. Mm-hmm. And it really affected me. And I, um, I don't know, I just, I think I went a bit crazy. Like, do you know what I mean? I went, I went a bit bonkers. I was definitely suffering with mental health, to the man. Mm. And then I, on top of that, I was completely strung out on tablets. I used to take tablets every day. 
Like Valium D10s and Valium stuff. D10s and then when I couldn't get Valium or D10 I'd go into Sheriff Street and I'd get the other fake ones. Yeah. The the Tranex and the Zimovan. Yeah. I'd get them and then they wouldn't even be real Tranex or Zimovan they'd be fake do you know what I mean? Yeah. But you get the same kind of effect from them. Yeah. But I used to go into town I'd, go, I'd probably go in and get three or four packets and I'd say right these are going to last me the week now I'll take six today get, you get twelve in a packet I said six, six today six tomorrow but then when I, by, the time, then by the time I get home on the bus, I'd have nearly them all gone. Of course, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you. like a fella that's after eating about 100 bonbons. Yeah. The whole face would be blue from oh, eating tablets. Yeah, and then yeah. You'd, you'd be going around saying, oh, these, these, these yeah. are fake. These are these aren't even working. Mm. But you'd be going around, you know what I mean? You'd be, mm. But yeah, but that's that's what happened to me. And I, I, I was definitely suffering with mental health and the tablets, and I strung out on tablets. Self-medicating, um, like. Yeah, because I know what it was. I didn't like my reality. I didn't like the way my life was. And I didn't like being in reality, so I wanted to be out of reality all the time to the men. But um, yeah, but I was still committing crimes and that. I was still going off robbing, and I was robbing. But I was, I think I went up, I think oh, I did. I went up the, I went up to Drada, and I was robbing apartments. And um, I got caught coming out of the apartments with two big suitcases full of, I don't know what was in them, but um. <laughs> But I got caught anybody by these guards. Somebody, they must have, someone rang the guards, and when I was coming out, two guards were waiting for me outside, and arrested me. And um, I got charged with um, handling stolen goods. They couldn't prove that I was in the apartments, like to the man, but they told me for handling stolen goods, and and it got sent forward to the high courts. So I knew I was going to go to jail because I had a bad previous to the man. So I am. Um, I was staying with my mother at the time and then I said to myself, you know what, I may, I may go into treatment or something in order to get letters for the courts. Yeah. So it took me about, it took me about three months to get into them because you had to give them, um, all the tablets had to be out of your system before you could go in, do you know what I mean? Mm. So, I, but instead of taking tablets, I was drinking every day. I was I was like an alcoholic, I was drinking every day. But um, eventually I got in anyway, I got into Peter McFerry's and um, I was there for about three months and um, what is Peter McFerry's? Peter McFerry's is um, it's a treatment center, yeah. But um, it's a therapeutical treatment center. Is it? Is a, a trauma based therapeutic treatment center? Now I didn't really know I needed it, but I definitely needed this treatment. You go over, you go in there, and you go over. You just go over your past. And you got to write it down, and and she asks you the teacher, like the, not the teacher, the counselor. The counselor asks you questions. You write down questions for you, and then you have to write an answer in your own time, like write an answer to it, and then then you go into it for a session with her, and then you talk about it. You talk about these experiences that happened to you. you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, yeah, so I, it was three months of that. And um, yeah, I felt I felt I felt better living. You know what I mean? I felt I knew I knew before I left uh, Peter McFerry's or the, the Lantern. I knew I wanted to change my life. What age you at this stage? This only about this only about three years ago. So about about thirty six. So, but um, I knew I knew when I left um, Peter McFerry's, I wanted to change my life. But um, then then they asked me before I left. He said, "Do you want to?" Do you want to go back to your own place, or do you want to do you want to, do you want to stay in, in a recovery house? So I said, "No, I'll go to a recovery house." But um, I I was I was even go to the recovery house. I just wanted to go. I said, "If I go to a recovery house now, I was all deceptive." Like I said, "If I go to a recovery house now, I said no judge is going to take me out of a recovery house and send me to jail. I said, it wouldn't make sense." Mm-hmm. So I was all deceptive. Like I'm just doing it for the course. Mm-hmm. But um, 
they sent me to the recovery house anyway. I was there for about 12 months in the recovery house in Baldile, uh, Peter McFerry House. I was there for about 12 months. And um, do you know what? It done me the world of good because I was out of the environment. I was out of my environment, do you know what I mean? Where, where I used to be, a home, like in the site. So I got out of there and I moved to um, the recovery house. So I was there for 12 months. And while I was there as well, you've got to do a treatment centre. You've got to go to a day programme. That's the deal. If you're staying with, in the in the recovery house, you've got to do a day programme. Yeah. So I went to, um, I started um, Coolmine, Coolmine Day Programme. And um, yeah, that was great. I was there for 12 months as well in the, in the day programme. And it was, it was brilliant. What was that like? It was brilliant. It was, um, it was just like, it was just groups. You know, yeah. group every day, three groups a day. And you just talk about stuff that's gone in your life, talk about stuff that's, um, that happened to you in your past and just, just try and work on it, you know. Just yeah. talking about stuff. And for the first couple of months I was in the treatment, in the day programme, I couldn't even, I, I didn't really talk, like, didn't I? I didn't really want to talk about my life or talk about anything mm. personal. I would, I'd say things, but they weren't really that serious of things. Like, I just, but, but I did see, i seen people in the group talking about stuff, you know? And um, i seen them having break, breakthroughs in the group with the, so then I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to just take a chance. I'm going to talk about something. So I talked, so one day, you might ask me, do you want, do you want to, anything you want to say today? So I said, yeah. I said, I want to say something. So I talked about something to this group that I never talked about to anyone in my life. I never talked about it to any, I never even talked to any travellers about it. I never talked to anyone about it. So I talked about it anyway. And um, I was kind of looking around at the group as I was talking to Paranide, you know. And I was just waiting for someone to give a little spark or you know, roll their eyes or something. Do you know what I mean? Just then I, I would probably have left. But um, to my surprise, when I did when I did tell them this story or whatever it was, I got some great feedback off them. They really were listening to me, like to the man, and I got some great feedback. So feedback that I was I was shocked that these settled people, mm. these Dublin fellas, and there's young fellas there, there's old people there, people that I would never usually associate myself with. But I was telling them my deepest, my deepest, darkest secrets, like mm-hmm. you know, and they just gave me great feedback. They give me some great advice, and they were just really. In- I could tell by them they were really interested when I was talking. Do you, know? you know what you did there, and I had the exact same situation. I was in St Francis Farm residential up in Carlo for about two months. I was in groups I didn't know my mouth, like what you were saying now, all in grand, you know, just kind of superficial stuff, not really yeah. deep or meaningful. Yeah. And they used to say to me like, "You, you don't need, you don't need to be here, James. You, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, issues really." But do you know why? Do you know why we end up? Do you know why we're like that? Because in the environments where we grow up and the environments we come from, you don't leave yourself vulnerable like that because you'll be fucking you'll be torn apart. Found out. You'll be it'd be seen as a weakness. Yeah. But you no, know, in a situation like that where you're doing in a therapeutic environment where you're trying leaving yourself vulnerable like that, and then you're looking wrong for the negative feedback didn't come, and what you got was a lot of positive feedback, yeah. and then you begin to realise, you know what, that mad life I was living. That's only there, but in the real world, some people are sound and some people are nice, and I can trust people. Yeah. And not everybody is out to get me, and I don't have to be violent, or I don't have to have that facade or image here. You know, I can actually yeah. be myself, and people will accept me for who I am, even if I have gone through all the stuff. They can relate with me. You know, so it's about finding a, a place where it's safe to be vulnerable, and we can get great growth through that. You know, 
So I could identify so much with that, just kind of saying fuck all and then actually opening the mouth and looking around for the negativity and it's not there and then just feeling like, you know what, I'm accepted, it's actually okay and then kind of taking it from there, you know. Well, that was a that was definitely a, a breakthrough for me because I, I didn't trust the group, you know, but when I'd done that, I just realised these people like... I can't trust them. Mm. These people like they were giving me this advice and they didn't look down at me or the. I was thinking now because what I was talking about would be unusual for these people because because I'm a traveller. That's why I didn't really open up to them because I'm a traveller and the things that I I be talking about that give me um trauma traumatize me. They probably wouldn't understand. That's what I thought. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But then it was explained to me afterwards. Listen, trauma is trauma. And we all have our own feelings. Just because you're a traveller from a travelling community and we're from a settled community or if you're black or if you're white, trauma is trauma. We're human beings, like, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, so they could, re- they could relate. They maybe they're not, they, they couldn't relate to, to some things I was talking about, but they could relate to my pain and they mm. could relate to my, my, my trauma because they all went through it themselves in different, different ways, you know? Because yeah, it doesn't matter if you're black or white yeah. or settled or traveller. We're all human. We're human. And it might, we, it might have went through different events, different circumstances, but we all feel the same. We all feel the same fear, yeah. feel the same pain, feel the same anxiety, hurt, and all these things, you know? So, no, it's great for you to say that. Like. Yeah, it was good, man. It was, you know, it was a changing point in my life now because when I left the group, I'm telling you, I floated home. My, it was like a ton of weight was left off, was took off my shoulders. Like, do you know what I mean? It was like a ton of weight, and I just floated home. And then after the next morning, I came in and I just, I was into the group thing. Do you know what I mean? I knew I just want. I said, I listen, whatever's going on for me, I'm talking about because if 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 it, if it can do that for me again, good. I'm gonna keep doing it. So that was a that was because then I started think taking this treatment seriously. Then you know it wasn't just about um my court anymore, but still I still had course. I still had the, the courts were still going ahead. But it was kind of getting real now. But um, yeah. But um, then uh, then after about maybe six months later, I um, I got my court day. came up, my final court day, and I went to court and I had a ton of letters. I had letters from Cool Mine, Peter McFerries. Had letters from I was I was I was living in the, I was living with the Simon community at the time. I got letters from them. Loads of letters. I was working with the frontline security in Crow Park. So this is no letter, you know. Mm. It was all for courts. But even though it was, it was, it was starting to work on me now as well, though. Yeah. But then, but then I went to court, and I remember, I remember there was a barrister there, and I, I don't think, I didn't think he was really taking heed of the court. I thought he was just there, just going through it, you know. Yeah. But um, he was talking for me up in the box, and he was. They were reading out my, my previous convictions and the judge, the woman judge, and she looked kind of, looked, I didn't know what she was going to do. And then they were saying, well, Your Honour, he was in, uh, he got he was, he was got 12 months in Tipperary, he got 12 months in Newbridge, he got in Galway. And they saw loads of different counties. She said, oh, he gets around, isn't he? He gets around. I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to jail. But, um, the wrong type of travelling. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> she said, he gets around. And she's looking out at me like that. I said, oh, I'm going to jail. But then um, then my barrister started reading out all what I'd done in cool mine and this and that. And then this other barrister gets up, an old fella, no one the fella with the, with the wig yokes, and he starts talking. And he, started, he said, um, Your Honour, he said, there comes a time in a man's life 
she started saying how old about you might you want to my client is for is 37 years of age and um talking 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 he said um there comes a time in a man's life he said when um you can go down one road and you can go down the next road and he's talking he said he said you want to i think myself it's make a break for this man now He's doing all this for the treatment. He's, he seems to be going in the right direction. He said, she, he, he was trying to say it by sending me to jail. It, could, it might not do me any good. Mm. So, but he said, it's make or break. But when he, but sw- when he said that, I just started thinking to myself, do you know what? It is make or break. Mm. It's time for me to do something with my life now. It's time to cop on like to the men. But anyway, the judge, um, after all that, she said, right, Mr. McCann, I was going to give you a three and a half year today. She said, you got a, you got a terrible record, which you do. I have about 70 or 80 previous convictions. She said, you got a terrible record. She said, I was going to give you three and a half years today. She said, but then she started talking good, what I'm doing and this and that. And she said, I'm going to give you a three and a half year suspended sentence. She said, for two years. She said, but you've got to keep doing what you're doing. You've got to keep uh, going to cool mine and this and that. So that was that. So then courts were over. That was it. It's brilliant. You know, we were at, me and Timmy were at a conference there for the Cork Alliance who support people in prison from Cork. And uh, there was judge, there was a couple of judges at the conference and we went for dinner after the conference and we got chatting to one of the judges after it, you know. And he was talking to us and something he said to us, you might remember Timmy, but he said, um, sometimes he gives people chances, you know, adjourns the case so they can go to Cool Mine or Brory or... Table Lodge or to go to residential he says but he knows that they're only doing it to get off the court and you know what I said to him I said you know what you're probably right I said but sometimes they can get it while they're in there yeah and people do go into residential treatment or any sort of treatment with the wrong motivation and actually get recovery while they're in there yeah, you yeah. Know? and that happened for you yeah that's what, get, that's what gets you foot in the door yeah I was talking to my counsellor, my key worker in Coomine earlier, and I told him about it. He said, Patrick, he said, he said, 90% of the fellas who come to Coomine is for, for that dirty said, yeah. But we try and do something for them while they're in here. Yeah. So we try and have a breakthrough with them while they're in here, do you know? And that's what, that's what happened with me. i done it without me even knowing. It just happened, you know? I started seeing good things happen for me, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I forgot to say, I went to, when I left, when I left Coomine, when I left Coomine, I went to a place called the INOU, the Irish National Organisation for the Unemployed. Well, they actually came into Coomine. They came in, they come in every year to a group, like, and just start telling them what we do, what they can do for us and that. And I seemed interesting, do you know what I mean? And then, and then, um, yeah, I needed to do something to, when I left Coomine, a bit of structure, yeah. like, you know, and, and another thing is what I was thinking, another thing for the judges as well to find out I'm in Go college on, now yeah, do you know yeah. it all helps yeah. it all helps it, it, it was all in the, it's all in the brain I'll get as much as I can but like Coomine and like treatment I don't know for the, for the courts and I went to the INIU for the courts but while I was in there and I started learning and reading and doing stuff with the college and that and I just started saying it started bringing back memories of when I was in school in Manchester you know mm. doing little assignments and yeah and then, then the, 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 the teacher was telling me, Patrick, why don't you, because I was doing well, like I was doing, I was keeping up with everyone. And she said, Patrick, why don't, would you not be interested in going to university after this? Because my plan was to go there, get, get a level five, because you need a level five now for any job, you know what I mean? Yeah. For any job. So my plan was to get level five and then get a job. But then she was saying to me, would you not be interested in going to university and getting a degree? She said, so I was thinking, yeah, you know, that sounds really, that sounds good. Mm. But, um, yeah, so, what university did you end up going to? I went to 
minute. I went to minute. I signed up for. I was going to do a social care one because of a few people in my class I was going for there as well. But then I heard about the the the, the minute youth and community one yeah. in minute, and yeah, so I signed up for there. And I, I went for the interview. The, I, you know, you've done everything for me, doing all the Susie, all the applications and that. So I went up, I went up, signed up for it, and um, they accepted me. About two weeks later, I got a phone call off one of the, one of the professors that uh, you've been accepted. Yeah. So it's a great feeling, it's a great isn't it? Great feeling, man. It was like great. there's people like us to know to go through what we went through and then end up in university. It's like, yeah. how the fuck did this happen? You know, you're just so so happy to be there, so grateful, and you know. But it can be hard as well. It can be imposter syndrome. I don't belong in a university. Yeah. Do you know, I did want to find out what I used to do in the past. Is it, yeah. Am I going to be exposed? Yeah. Did you go through that as well? Yeah, definitely. Not just that. Like, And I mean, a traveller as well. You just think, yeah. do you just have this feeling when you're a traveller that you don't belong anywhere. Like, 1% that? of travellers yeah. have third level education. Yeah. You know? I think it's I think it's not point five percent. Less than a, less than a percent. I, I say it's even less than that. But yeah. maybe it's like maybe maybe it's not point six percent. But um I say it's even less less than that. But like I just like you were saying about the criminal record the criminal record, yeah, I have a terrible record. But then I'm a traveller as well, so mm. I was thinking they're not gonna accept me like to the man. But may, I don't know, maybe it's because of the this this course is youth and community, and they're all into all um, different cultures and different inclu- inclusion and that. Yeah. You know, so maybe maybe being a traveller kind of helped me to get into this course, you yeah. know. And I always say, like, I did youth and community in UCC and criminology as well, and there were courses where my past experiences actually made me more yeah. eligible for the course. Yeah, and I was more accepted. Yeah, you know, I'd say it'd be like Timmy went into a construction management course where. They wouldn't have any understanding of what Timmy would went through, so it would have been a bit harder for you, I'd say, Timmy. Yeah, it was more difficult, all right. Um, and I felt completely out in the out in the cold if I was gonna if I'm gonna be very honest. You know, it's 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 not a degree that people that come from backgrounds like me and you and James yeah. go into straight away. We usually lean towards somewhere that um we can help people like ourselves, like the youth and community, the criminology, like James. But I never felt comfortable inside in the class. And every time they'd start talking about interviews, you know, um, in terms of when we leave in, in the fourth year, interviews from the big companies, you know, around Cork and, and Dublin, I used to feel like shit. I used to get that feeling of, of just pure anxiety, you know, because the thoughts of of my criminal record being read out in front of me, in front yeah. of the panel of three or four people. It just, it, it really, it didn't resonate, it sit with me too well. And, and uh, I, I couldn't go through it, you know, and I had to protect myself in the end. And I decided not to go down that route. And that's when I decided to start my own business and start employing people that were just like me, that would have had the same feelings you know, in the work environment that they couldn't get into jobs because of their criminal records or, mm. or and shit like that. You know, and, and I I definitely made the right decision and yeah. I feel like I did because I'm working with people that have came from similar backgrounds now to me and there's no awkwardness. Yeah. The energy is the same. There's no judgment, none whatsoever because I've done shit as well that I'm ashamed of. You know, we all do. Do you know, but I've done it all in, in, in addiction and no, I don't do any of those things and I live an honest as poss- an honest life. The behaviours that 
I had in my whole life, you know, all the mad stuff, you know, they're not there today, you know. I live a really, really stable life where I try to do the next best thing every time. And I don't always do the, the next best thing, you know. But when I am wrong and I believe I'm wrong and I've hurt somebody verbally or by a decision I make, I try my best to apologise, you know. But I am a working process, you know. I'm like a never-ending conveyor belt. Yeah. That's just consistently just no. getting there and getting in there, do you know? No. And and I believe I have, a, I have a certain strength where built throughout my life, you now starting at a really, really young age, I've, I, I've, I have this strength within me just overcomes everything, no matter what it is. Same as you, because of you, and you. And I believe it's our life, I believe it's every single experience and every single person's influence on us gets us ready for the next step. It's mm-hmm. like a stairway. Everything that's gone on before that gets you ready for the next mm-hmm. one. And we keep growing. Yeah. None of those, none of the bad experiences are wasted because yeah. they make us who we are today. Yeah. They give us character. Yeah. And to come through all that and to end up in university... That's not an easy way to do it, you know what I mean? No, no. But you work so hard. And what year are you in in your course? I'm just finishing the first year now. Fair I'm play. doing my placement now in the first Tough year. Tough year to start as well with yeah. COVID. Yeah, I was actually talking to... Oh, I, was, I tell you, it was a, it was a very tough year mm. with, the, with the COVID. It mm. had to be the hardest year for anyone in university. Because you don't get the sample, the experience of being yeah. on campus and meeting the classmates mm. and the libraries. No, that's all part and parcel of it, yeah. you know? Get involved yeah. in the societies and all these other things. That yeah, it actually there was a statistic out there last week. It actually is very very tough for people like Pat and, and his classmates because a lot of them would be they're doing the course because of the social aspect to it. Yeah. yeah, but you know, in terms of there's a lot of courses as well in college that a lot of the students are quite comfortable not going into class because. A lot of them would struggle with social anxieties mm. and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm on about degrees now where it's a lot of your a lot of people are using their minds and stuff like mm. that and into let's say I you know science and no, we're not saying that mm. about anyone. I know what you mean. Science, but where people are really, really, really smart, they can sit at home and just get on with yeah, their home. Yeah, they're comfortable doing you that. Know? Yeah. But yeah. a lot, a lot of the for me and when I was doing young community was. Before the class and after the class, you know? Yeah. Hey, how are you getting on with this? And, yeah. you know, you get pointers from your classmates, you know? But, do you know, I was lucky. I'm lucky. With my class is great. The class that we went into is great. Like, the new people that I've met, they're all very helpful and nice and that. But about four of us came from the INOU together. And um, we all have, we have our own little WhatsApp page, you know, if we yeah. can just, we can text each other, we can ring each other, we can talk about, no assignments that we get and that, you know. So I'm lucky to have this group of people like that, that come into Minute with me from the you know, you, you know. Yeah, that's and, great. And tell you, all of them, we're all, we're all in recovery, like. Yeah. The, the four brilliant. of us were in recovery, you know. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Like. yeah. Do you want that's, to tell us, sorry, go on then. No, I, I was just going to say, like, that's what, we, yeah. or, or we have groups like that as well, we're all in recovery and. Yeah. And it means so a lot, like, just yeah. to have people like that around. And I pe- think that's recovery. In oh, sense. yeah, because people in recovery want to help people. Uh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we, and, we've and, all and got it, that thing in common, you yeah, know? Yeah, and if you can get paid, if you can do it as part of your job, bonus. that the bonus, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your placement? 
I'm doing um I'm doing placement in the in college. It's um it's a traveller prison initiative. The traveller prison initiative uh, works towards the particular needs of and circumstances of travellers within the prison system in the Republic of Ireland. Um, they also make they also make changes in the prison system that have a positive influence on travellers in prison and their families and the community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, because yeah. it's like for for fellas like me and Timmy mm-hmm. and you going to prison, it's all prison. But when you're a traveller, it's you have different needs to somebody that's settled. Yeah, you kind of do, you know, and like there's only there's no there's only no point six percent. No point six percent of the Irish population are travellers. There's only a very small amount of travellers in Ireland. You, you think there's more? If you, in, in fact, if you if you put all the travellers into Crow Park, there's only half fella. That's madness. But at yeah, the same man, time, don't know. I mean? You think there was more, wouldn't mm-hmm. you? There's, there's only a small amount of travellers in Ireland. But at the same time, there's such a high percentage of the prison system. The men are ten percent of the of the prison system, traveller men, mm. and the women are fifteen percent of the prison system. And I think traveller children are eighteen percent of the juvenile system. Mm. So, like, we're a high percentage. So, what the pra- the traveller prison initiative does? Did do, do you want to know if, if there's such a high percentage of of of, of travellers in the prison? Is there, is do you want to find out? Is renting getting done for them? Mm. Are the are the um. Are they are they are they going to the services? Are they are they going to addiction services? Are they going to education? Are they going to um counselling services? Yeah. You know. So they try to help the prison so that the prison can respond to the traveller to to kind of drop down those numbers, you know. Because if you have if you make up zero point five percent of the population, but you make up ten percent of the prison, there's something seriously wrong there. There's something really. And maybe the, the the prison can't focus on any of the stuff that's happening on the outside, but when they come in your doors and into yeah. the into, then the prison can do stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and that's where the Traveller and Prison Initiative kind of comes into play then. Well, we look, they've looked at other countries from around the world as well, like the Australia, uh, New Zealand. Australia, the Aborigines, the indigenous people in Australia. Yeah. In New Zealand, there's the Maori. In Canada, there's the Native Americans, you know. Yeah. And then in, in Ireland, there's the Travellers. And we've all got high percent. Like in, the Aborigines are a very low percent. I think the Aborigines are like 2.5% 2, 2. of the population. Mm-hmm. And the same with New Zealand, the same with Native Americans. But they're a real high percentage of the prison system. Mm-hmm. So there's something going wrong in these countries, you know what I mean? There's something going wrong, and there's something going wrong in Ireland yeah. with the Travellers, you know. Yeah. And high percent in the prison also... High percent in overall uh, suicides, yeah. mental health, mental health, addiction, suicide, addiction, you know, yeah. l- low. Um, the average age of death for yeah. a traveller man is far younger than a settlement. For a man, it's, it's ten years. Eleven years for a man, and it's fifteen years for a man, and eleven years for a woman. They live less than than a non-traveller. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So there's something going on, and this is what this is what we're finding out in the tra- in the travellers' prison initiative. You know things like this. You know, and I find that very interesting. You know, I have a question for you. How how is it how is it for a man that thinks he's gay in the travel community? How how difficult is it for him to come out and say that he's actually gay? Like, like, um, oh, I say it would be very difficult. Uh, Do you know any gay travellers? Um, I don't really know any personally, but mm. the fact that we have to think about it yeah, tells exactly, his own stories. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, like, what's coming into my head is like. For a traveller man to say that he's gay would be an awful... He he would get an awful lot of stick over it. But to be mm. a traveller, do you know... 
Like, would that have an would that have a lot of effect on on su- the suicides in, in within I say it community would. life? I say it would. Yeah. I said they'd be under normal and an awful and lot of pressure. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. They'd be um, they'd be like, I don't know, they'd be just to be kind of cast out a bit. You know, yeah. nobody would would have anything to do with them. I don't think so anyway. Yeah. Mm. More most of the people wouldn't really want, wouldn't hang about with them, mm. wouldn't talk to them. Wouldn't and I think that's them. very sad. It is, it is sad. Because there's absolutely, like, if, if so, there's yeah. nothing wrong with... Well, I think there's a, I think there's another podcast and that yeah. maybe might get Martin Beans yeah. Ward on. Do you know, the comedian guy, he's a, yeah. he's a traveller, he's, yeah. he's a gas man. Yeah, I do see he, him on Facebook, yeah. He's a gent as well. Yeah. But I'd say he come on and talk about that. Yeah. But I'm keen to get you back on the last train. So we'll wrap it up, if you yeah, don't mind. no problem. Do you want to just, maybe very briefly, just tell us about what's your plans for the future? Mm. Maybe, like, we, would you like to go back helping travellers, helping people in addiction, homelessness, or are you just going to take what comes? Um, well, to tell you the truth, since I've been doing this course, I'm very interested in this course now. And maybe, maybe somewhere down the line, and maybe the next couple of years when I get my degree in that, maybe I could go, maybe not, maybe not Travellers Prison Initiative, but in that area, you know? Because yeah. um, I did say to myself when I first started college, if I get a degree, I'm not just going to go into work with traveller just because I'm a traveller. Yeah. But I think I think I, I could do something good in this area. You know, yeah. I'd have a lot of experience. Like I've been in prison. I'm a traveller. I've been in I've been in addiction. So I have a lot to offer. You know. Yeah. So maybe maybe in this area, yeah. maybe maybe with people in addiction, not just travellers, with people in addiction, yeah. maybe with people in prisons. Yeah. You could yeah. work, you don't know what, there's so much potential mm-hmm. there, you could do what you wanted, yeah. and you could go into, the best thing about having a degree is, you can go into a role, and if you don't really like it, you'll just go into another job, yeah. because you have your qualifications, yeah. you've yeah. always lived experience, but now you've an academic degree as well, yeah. and you know, you've a lot of flexibility like that, you've got different jobs, trying yeah. new things until, but I wish you nothing but the best of luck Thanks with it. Thank you very much. Um, we'll definitely keep in touch. Yeah. And maybe we'll touch base again when you finish up and see how we yeah. get on. And I hope, you know, there's fellas in the prisons and treatment centres know that watch this and identify with you and think, you know what, mm-hmm. I can relate with Patrick, I can relate with Tim, I can relate with James. What courses can I do? Maybe I can have a better 100%, life. 100% because I'm telling you, three years ago, I was completely lost. I was completely lost and I just didn't know what I was going to do with my life and... It was a lot of luck, a lot of luck, but I got a lot of support as well and a lot of hard work from me. But um, if I can do this, if I can do this in my life, anyone can, you know, yeah, because yeah. Cause a few years ago, I really did hit rock bottom and I just didn't know what I was going to do. I was lost. Yeah. But um, just the way I turned my life around and I hope, I hope travellers that's watching this or listening to this can relate to what I'm saying and I hope you can take something from it. Yeah. Oh, well, I tell you, I've taken an awful lot from it and, and you know, James is as well, but I guarantee you this... If there's a traveller sitting inside in his cell now watching this and he feels like there's no hope and he listens to you talk, you know, I guarantee you this, you will change their lives. And, and, and I just want to thank you I as well so. for coming thanks on. For, yeah, no problem. Yeah. Thanks very much for no, listening to me. Not a bother. And thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Rowan. Thanks, Timmy. Thanks, lads. And thanks to everybody that watches. We'll see everybody again next week. See you later. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, 
torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.